0: chapter 7 of the defiant agents this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by rj davis the defiant agents by andre norton chapter 7 what happened to say took a swift stride stood over the writhing girl whose strength was now such that Travis had to exert all his efforts to control her. I think the machine she spoke about is holding her. She is being drawn to it out of hiding as one draws a calf on a rope. Both coyotes had risen and were watching the struggle with interest, but there was no warning from them. Whatever called Cadessa into such mindless and willless answer did not touch the animals and neither Apache felt it. So perhaps only Kadesa's people were subject to it, as she had thought. How far away was that machine? Not too near, for otherwise the coyotes would have traced the man or men operating it. We cannot move her, Tasse brought the problem into the open, unless we bind and carry her. She is one of their kind. Why not let her go to them, unless you fear she will talk? His hand went to the knife in his belt, and Travis knew what primitive impulse moved in the younger man. In the old days, a captain who was likely to give trouble was efficiently eliminated. In Tassay, that memory was awake now. Travis shook his head. She has said that others of her kin are in these hills. We must not set two wolf packs hunting us, Travis said giving the more practical reason which might better appeal to that savage instinct for self-preservation. But you are right. Since she has tried to answer this summons, we cannot force her with us. Therefore, do not take the back trail. Tell Buck what we have discovered, and have him make the necessary precautions against either these mongrel outlaws or a red thrust over the mountains. And you? I stay to discover what the outlaws hide and learn all I can of this settlement. We may have reason to need friends. Friends? say spat? The people need no friends. If we have warning, we can hold our own country. As the Penelichiae have discovered before. Bows and arrows against guns and machines, Travis inquired bitingly. We must know more before we make any warrior boasts for the future. Tell Buck what we have discovered. Also say I will join you before Travis capsulated ten sons. If I do not, send no search party. The clan is too small to risk more lives for one. And if these reds take you? Travis grinned not pleasantly. They shall learn nothing. Can their machines sort out the thoughts of a dead man? He did not intend his future to end as abruptly as that, but also he would not be easy meat for any red hunting party. Taché took a share of the rations and refused the company of the coyotes. Travis realized that for all his seeming ease with the animals, the younger scout had little more liking for them than Declay and the others back at the ranchera. Taché went at dawn, aiming at the pass. Travis sat down beside Kadesa. They had bound her to a small tree, and she strove incessantly to free herself, turning her head at an acute and painful angle, only to face the same direction in which she had been tied. There was no breaking the spell which held her, and she would soon wear herself out without struggling. Then he struck an expert blow. The girl sagged limply, and he untied her. It all depended now on the range of the beam or broadcast of that diabolical machine. From the attitude of the coyotes, he assumed that those using the machine had not made any attempt to come close. They might not even know where their quarry was. They would simply sit and wait in the foothills for the caller to reel in a helpless captive. Travis thought that if he moved Cadessa further away from that point, Sooner or later they would be out of range, and she would awake from the knockout free again. Although she was not light, he could manage to carry her for a while. So burdened, Travis started on, with the coyote scouting ahead. He speedily discovered that he had set himself an ambitious task. The going was rough, and carrying the girl reduced his advance to a snail-paced crawl. But it gave him time to make careful plans. As long as the Reds held the balance of power on this side of the mountain range, the Ranchera was in danger. Bows and knives against modern armament was no contest at all, and it would only be a matter of time before exploration on the part of the northern settlement or some tracking down of Tatar fugitives would bring the enemy across the pass. The Apaches would move further south into the unknown continent below the wrecked ship thus prolonging the time before they were discovered. But that would only postpone the inevitable showdown. Whether Travis could make his clan believe that was also a matter of concern. On the other hand, if the Red Overlords could be met in some practical way, Travis's mind fastened on that more attractive idea, worrying it as Naginta worried a prey tearing out and devouring the more delicate portions. Every bit of sense and prudence argued against such an approach, whose success would rest only between improbability and impossibility, yet that was the direction in which he longed to move. Across his shoulder, Kadesa stirred and moaned. The Apache doubled his efforts to reach the outcrop of rock he could see ahead, chiseled into high relief by the wind. In a sleigh they would have protection from any sighting from below. Panting, he made it, lowering the girl into the guarded cup of space and waited. She moaned again, lifted one hand to her head. Her eyes were half open, and still he could not be sure whether they focused on him and her surroundings intelligently or not. Kadesa? Her heavy eyelids lifted, and he had no doubt she could see him, but there was no recognition of his identity in her gaze, only surprise and fear. The same expression she had worn during their first meeting in the foothills. Daughter of the wolf? He spoke slowly. Remember. Travis made that an order, an empathic appeal to the mind under the influence of the collar. She frowned, the struggle she was making naked on her face. Then she answered, You, Fox. Travis grunted with relief, his alarm subsiding. Then she could remember. Yes, he responded eagerly. But she was gazing about, her puzzlement growing. Where is this? We are higher in the mountains. Now fear was pushing out bewilderment. How did I come here? I brought you. Swiftly he outlined what had happened at their night camp. The hand which had been at her head was now pressed tight against her lips, as if she were biting furiously into its flesh to steal some panic of her own, and her gray eyes were round and haunted. You are free now, Travis said. Kadesa nodded and then dropped her hand to speak. You brought me away from the hunters? You did not have to obey them? I heard nothing. You do not hear? You feel? She shuddered. Please. She clawed at the stone beside her, pulling up to her feet. Let us go. Let us go quickly. They will try again. Move further in. Listen. Travis had to be sure of one thing. Had they any way of knowing that they had you, under control, and that you have again escaped? Kadesa shook her head some of the panic again shadowing her eyes. Then we'll just go on. His chin lifted to the wastelands before them. Try to keep out of their reach. And away from the path to the south, he told himself silently, he dared not lead the enemy to that secret. So he must travel west or hole up somewhere in this unknown wilderness until they could be sure Cadessa was no longer susceptible to that call or that they were safely beyond its beamed radius. There was a chance of contacting her outlaw, kin, just as there was a chance of stumbling into a pack of the ape-things. Before dark, they must discover a protected campsite. They needed water, food. He had a bare half-dozen ration tablets, but the coyotes could locate water. Come, Travis beckoned to Kadesa, motioning her to climb ahead of him, so that he could watch for any indication of her succumbing once again to the influence of the enemy. But his burdened early morning flight had told on Travis more than he thought, and he discovered he could not spur himself on to a pace better than a walk. Now and again, one of the coyotes, usually nalikia to you, would come into view, expressed impatience in both stance and metal signal and then be gone again. The Apache was increasingly aware that the animals were disturbed, yet to his tentative gropings at contact they did not reply. Since they gave no warning of hostile animal or man, he could only be on constant guard, watching the countryside about him. They had been following a ledge for several minutes before Travis was aware of some strange features of that path. Perhaps he had actually noted them with a trained eye before his archaeological studies of the recent past gave him a reason for the faint marks. This crack in the mountain's skin might have begun as a natural fault, but afterward it had been worked with tools, smooth, widened to serve the purpose of some form of intelligence. Travis caught at kadesa's shoulder to slower pace. He could not have told why he did not want to speak aloud here, but he felt the need for silence. She glanced around perplexed, more so when he went down on his knees and ran his fingers along one of those ancient tool marks. He was certain it was very old. Inside of him anticipation bubbled. A road made with such labor could only lead to something of importance. He was going to make the discovery the dream which had first drawn him into these mountains. What is it? Kadesa knelt beside him, frowning at the ledge. This was cut by someone a long time ago, Travis half-whispered and then wondered why. There was no reason to believe the roadmakers could hear him when perhaps a thousand years or more lay between the chipping of that stone and this day. The Tata girl looked over her shoulder. Perhaps she, too, was troubled by the sense that here time was suddenly telescoped, that past and present might be meeting, or was that feeling with them both because of their enforced conditioning? Who? Now her voice sank in turn. Listen, he regarded her intently. Did your people or the Reds ever find any traces of the old civilization here, ruins? No. She leaned forward tracing with their own finger the same almost obliterated marks which had intrigued Travis. But I think they have looked. Before they discovered that we could be free, they sent out parties to hunt, they said. But afterward, they always asked many questions about the country, only they never asked about ruins. Is that what they wished us to find? But why? Of what value are old stones piled on one another? In themselves... Little, save for the knowledge they may give us of the people who piled them, but for what the stones might contain, much value. And how do you know what they might contain, Fox? Because I have seen such treasure houses as the Star Men. He returned absently. To him, the marks on the ledge were a pledge of greater discoveries to come. He must find where that carefully constructed road ran, to what it led. Let us see where this will take us. But first he gave the chittering signal in four sharp bursts, and the tawny gray bodies came out of the tangled brush, bounding up to the ledge. Together the coyotes faced him, their attention all for his halting communication. Runes might lie ahead. He hoped that they did. But on another planet, such runes had twice proved to be deadly traps and only good fortune had prevented their closing on Terran explorers. If the ape-things or any other dangerous form of life had taken up residence before them, he wanted good warning. Together the coyotes turned and loafed along the now-level way of the ledge, disappearing around a curve fitted to the mountainside while Travis and Cadessa followed. They heard it before they saw its source, a waterfall, probably not a large one, but high. Rounding the curve, they came into a fine mist of spray where sunlight made rainbows of color across a filmy veil of water. For a long moment they stood entranced. Kadesa then gave a little cry, held out her hands to the purling mist, and brought them to her lips again to suck the gathering moisture. Water slicked the surface of the ledge, and Travis pushed her back against the wall of the cliff. As far as he could discern, their road continued behind the outflung curtain of water, and putting on the wet stone was treacherous. With their backs to the solid security of the wall, facing outward into the solid drape of water, they edged behind it and came out into rainbowed sunlight again. Here either Provident Nature or Ancient Art had hollowed a pocket in the stone, which was filled with water, they drank. Then Travis filled his canteen while Kadesa washed her face, holding the cold freshest of the moisture to her cheeks with both palms. She spoke, but he could not hear it through the roar. She leaned closer and raised her voice to a half shout. This is a place of spirits. Do you not also feel their power, Fox? Perhaps for a space at a time, he did feel something. This was a watering place, perhaps a never-ceasing watering place. And to his desert-born and red race, all water was a spirit gift never to be taken for granted. The rainbow, the spirit people's sacred sign, old belief stirred in Travis, moving him. I feel, he said, nodding in emphasis to his agreement. They followed the ledge road to a section where a landslide of an earlier season had choked it. Travis worked a careful way across the debris, Cadessa obeying his guidance in turn. Then they were on a sloping downward way, which led to a staircase. The threads weather-worn and crumbling. the angle so steep, Travis wondered if it had ever been intended for beings with a physique approximating the Terrans. They came to a cleft where an arch of stone was chiseled out as a roofing. Travis thought he could make out a trace of carving on the capstone, so worn by years and weather that it was now only a faint shadow of design. The cleft was a door into another valley. Here, too, golden mist swirled in tendrils to disguise and cloak what stood there. Travis had found his ruins. Only the structures were intact, not breached by time. Mist flowed in laughing tongues back and forth confusing outlines, now shuddering, now barring oval windows, which were spaced in diamonds of four on round tower surfaces. There were no visible cracks, no cloaking of climbing vegetation, nothing to suggest age and long roots in the valley, nor did the architecture he could view match any he had seen on those other worlds. Travis strode away from the cleft doorway. Under his moccasins was a block pavement, yellow and green stone set in a simple pattern of checks. This too was level, unchipped, and undisturbed, save for a drift or two of soil driven in by the wind, and nowhere could he see any vegetations. The towers were of the same green stone as half the pavement blocks, a glassy green which made him think of jade if jade could be mined in such quantities as these five-story towers demanded. Nalikia Dayu padded to him, and he could hear the faint click of her claws on the pavement. There was a deep silence in this place, as if the air itself swallowed and digested all sound. The wind which had been with them all the day of their journeying was left beyond the cleft. Yet there was life here, The coyote told him that in her own way. She had not made up her mind concerning that life. Weariness and curiosity warred in her now as her pointed muscle lifted towards the windows overhead. The windows were all well above ground level, but there was no opening in the first stories as far as Travis could see. He debated moving into the range of those windows to investigate the far side of the towers for doorways. The mist and the message from the Licky Dayu nourished his suspicions. Out in the open, he would be too good a target for whatever or whoever might be standing within the deep well frames. The silence was shattered by a boom. Travis jumped, slewed half around, knife in hand. Boom, boom. A second heavy beat beat. Then a clangor with a swelling echo. Desta flung back her head and called, her voice rising up as if tunneled by the valley walls. She then whistled as she had done when they fronted the ape thing and ran on to catch at Travis's sleeve, her face eager. My people, come, it is my people. She tugged him on before breaking into a run, weaving fearlessly around the base of one of the towers. Travis ran after her, afraid he might lose her in the mist three towers, another stretch of open pavement, and then the mist lifted to show them a second carved doorway, not two hundred yards ahead. The boom-boom seemed to pull Cadessa, and Travis could do nothing but trail her, the coyotes now trotting beside him. This concludes the reading of Chapter 7.